This is 103. Holy cliffhangers, Batman. Right here on the CBC. Edmonton Action News Team with Des Conrad, your anchorman, Lee Smith with the sports, and Adam Shaw with the weather. Good evening, I'm Des Conrad. Welcome to the news. Department of Transportation officials and law enforcement are setting up sobriety checkpoints on the QE2 today due to a rash of collisions involving alcohol and high speed. Steps are being taken. All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcasting. And with that familiar music, you know you are listening to your podcast. Glad to have you back here on Podcast 117. Our look at Carnival of Souls track-by-track side one. Our opening today was a little shout-out to our brothers over at Kistry Science Theater. We love doing anything with them, and it was really cool to kick off our look at Carnival of Souls with them. So if you haven't listened to their episode on Carnival of Souls, we suggest you check that out today. Remedy that now. But before we get going, let's check out the podcast mailbag. Here's one from Beta Zed. His message concerns Podkist 116, the ghost of Podkist Past. Beta Z says, Hey, I wanted to tell you I downloaded the Christmas Past episode, intending to only listen to the new intro and closing, as I had heard the older material before. But I was so drawn in once the 2008 show started, I just sat back and let it play. Such a funny, cool, and amazingly well done piece of work. It was doubly impressive on a re-listen. I felt like reaching out to you to tell you how blown away I was. I do love it now that the podcast has become a kind of community gathering place, but these older high concept production episodes are my true favorites. P.S. It was very sad to hear of Bob Kulik's kind comments on Lemmy in light of his recent passing. Yeah, it was very sad and Sean Collin also writes, I just heard this at the end of last night's shift. Needless to say, the bits about Lemmy had some extra gravitas. And it is sad to hear about Lemmy's passing. It's just a reminder that time is short and sweet and to make the most of it. If you're not living with a smile on your face, you might be doing something wrong. So try to make the most of every single day. And that's really kind of what Kiss preaches, you know, make the most of it. Sean Z. M. Gade writes, I'm catching up with all the podcasts. I am up to episode 90. A few of my favorite moments have got to be Mod of Thunder and Kiss Pop-Tarts. You'd buy them. And, of course, Gary doing Gilbert Godfrey singing Kiss. <laughs> that was really cool. We also have some cool feedback concerning Podcast 115, Carnival of Souls Part 1. Pete LaRusso posted a pic of bootlegs that looked 10 times better than the actual CD. It was really sad. <laughs> it makes you wonder what if and what should have been. Earth Dog Chops, uh, as he's known on Facebook, or Freak8 over at KISS FAQ, made a killer graphic of our fake KISS website 
www.kissspouses.com. It was excellent work, and we just want to say thank you that put a smile on our face. Alexis Komodikus writes, Ken, you know how freaky it is when people go, Yes, well, Gene's solo album was my first Kiss album, or Psycho Circus was my first Kiss album. I would love to know if there's anyone out there who was first introduced to Kiss via Carnival of Souls. We'd like to maybe share your story or your post. We got a message from Red Walrus concerning Podkiss 115 Carnival of Souls Part 1. He writes, Ken, just to relay how much this latest episode meant to me. A month ago, I was getting cancer treatment, and I was in a lead-line isolation room for the night. I had brought in my new laptop with the idea that I could tap into the hospital's Wi-Fi. Unfortunately, the lead stopped any transmission. Fortunately, I had one thing downloaded that I could listen to that night, the podcast episode. I played it over and over, and it helped me get through a rather tough night. My thanks to the podcast and all other podcasts out there that provide me with a little escapism and entertainment. You are more valued than you might think. Red Walrus, that really humbles us, and we're glad that we could come along with you, and we're just glad that we were there to keep you company. We also have some news here at the podcast that we have to take care of. If you've noticed, if you go on iTunes and the podcast page, Cheap Talk is gone. Our show about Cheap Trick the Cheap Talk podcast, is no longer in the podcast feed. We've gotten some emails and some messages. Kenan O'Mara writes, What's happened to Cheap Talk slash Trick Chat? Marty McKenna from Champaign, Illinois writes in, What the hell happened to Cheap Talk? Well, the good news is it is now in its own feed on iTunes, and it has its own webpage. And you can find the Cheap Talk show over at its blog spot, location. That address is Cheap Talk Trick Chat, one word, Cheap Talk Trick Chat at blogspot.com. And you can find them on iTunes as well. So please subscribe and check out the show there. We'd also like to say congratulations to everyone over at the KISS FAQ podcast on your first year of broadcasting. Congratulations. We hope to hear so much more from Julian and the gang. Speaking of Julian... He's going to be on an episode very soon discussing his book about the Kiss solo albums. Here's an ad for that right now. The new unofficial and unsanctioned Kiss book, Gene, Ace, Peter, and Paul, celebrates the legendary 1978 Kiss solo albums. Released simultaneously, Kiss became the first major rock band to attempt such a major endeavor. The book features interviews with more than 30 musicians, engineers, producers, arrangers, those most intimately involved in the creation of the solo albums. The book is available in paperback and Kindle formats at Amazon.com and in iBook formats at iTunes. Please visit Kiss78SoloAlbums.com for further information. So we'll be looking forward to Julian's appearance on the podcast. And now it's time to welcome our brothers from Podcast Rock City. Welcome Andrew Kiss, Jody Havnot, and Joe Polo. Hello from Atlanta, Georgia. Hello from Oakville, Ontario. All the way up north, where Canadian. our brothers Kistry Science Theater and Cassius all come from. <laughs> <laughs> and Jody Havnot. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. What's happening, buddy? Uh, nothing too much. You know, a lot of people, 
love Carnival of Souls, and even more people seem to not love it. But we make the most of it here at Podkist, and I understand that you guys did a wonderful episode talking about your thoughts on Carnival of Souls. Joe, can you tell us what episode that was and where people uh, can find it? It was yeah, episode seventy. It's on iTunes and Stitcher and Podomatic, and um, it, it was just one of the shows that we did just recently. And it was out of all the albums, it's weird how that one likes to sneak in on my life. And I just said, hey, let's do a Carnival of Souls. Actually, uh, Andrew did, didn't you? Yes. And so it was just like, there we go. <laughs> and uh, and we and we we had a good time talking about it. It's amazing, like you said, how many people like it and dislike it. Well, I think in some ways it's almost like, you know how there's like sister albums in the Kiss world? Like, for example, if I were to say Lick It Up, Creatures of the Night is the other side of that coin. You know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. Monster, Sonic, Boom. Like, there are albums that are kind of related. Love Gun and Rock and Roll Over. Uh, In a weird way to me, The Elder and Carnival of Souls are kind of like strange bookends in this you know Mm -hmm. because they're both so unique and so different from anything else that's in the KISS catalog and yet you would think that it's Revenge and Carnival of Souls but I still feel so much left field coming off of Carnival of Souls that it's kind of like when I reach for the obscure or the alternative albums, and I don't mean alternative as in like alternative music, but just something different from standard Kiss, the rock and roll, if you will. Right. That uh, I reach for the Elder or Carnival of Souls. Right. I think Carnival of Souls is like an ill-fated, like concept record, but the concept was like, you know, let's be Billy Corgan. Right. It's terrible. And here's the weird thing: I've actually heard Kiss fans say that they really want nothing to do with it or whatever like do you guys remember there was a dvd kiss in las vegas that came out right yes and there are kiss fans who will slag that and say oh it's nothing but just them lip syncing and it's horrible and i i would never buy that i'd never want that but if it was never released we would be hunting that down like rabid dogs and that's the same with Carnival of Souls, you know. You may not want it, but if you didn't have it, you'd do anything to get it. So it's kind of bizarre. Yeah, going back to the um, Elder thing, I actually have said that there's a, quite a few vocals in the record that reminded me of the Elder. And I, right. I, mean, yeah, I don't remember. I don't know that, that, that that's what they were going for, but, I mean, it, it hit me that way. And, and, and you're right. It is such an oddity. No pun intended to the elder. <laughs> that uh, it really is. It's you know you listen to the record and you go, man, this is so different. Agreed, agreed. One of the interesting things about uh, Carnival of Souls was how it grew on Andrew. Um, like algae. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know he didn't like it at first, and it, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, it it it, it became you know a, a better album to him. Excellent. Well, I know that anytime we do a roundtable discussion here at the podcast, even, I mean, I did not care for Unmasked the first time we did it, and then after that, it was like I heard it with brand new ears. After you really investigate and listen to what everybody had to say, it really it really does open the albums up in a new way. Well, that's what did it for me, uh, the Decibel Geek podcast did uh, their um, interview with Toby Wright, 
and not really um, like I listened to what they had to say and you're right it gave me that whole almost new set of ears just like a whole new perspective and uh, made me really dig the album so thank you Aaron and Chris and we definitely want to let people know that they should be checking out the Decibel Geek show but right now we're going to get ready to head out but before we do Joe could you let people know where they can hear Podcast Rock City uh, Podcast Rock City comes out every Monday. We are basically your uh, your weekly kiss fix. We are every week, Monday we come out, we talk about the news, we have a subject that we discuss, sometimes we have guests, um, and you can hear it on podcastrockcity.com or Podomatic or iTunes or Stitcher, all the, all the places you go to hear the best podcasts. And I think we should let people know the news today. The news. The news. You're, we're, we're making it official. We're no longer oh, that, just dating. Yes, that is correct. Go we ahead. are now part of the podcast. Yes, you are officially. Network. The podcast Rock City is now part of the podcast network. Which so. is spectacular and like a dream come true for me. Absolutely. All of us, actually. Well, it's, it's oh, yeah. really, really, it just means nothing more than you guys are loved and approved by us. And we are so glad that you are part of our story and vice versa. No, it, it means a lot more than. <laughs> it means a lot more than you're making it out to be. It means a lot to us. We, you know, we've all listened to your shows, all three of us. We've been following you and following uh, Matt forever, and then for you to be on our show and to talk to us. And you've been on the show with me before, but right now, you know, here we are talking on your show, and it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I got, I got chills, and they're multiplying. <laughs> 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 well, thanks for being on the show, guys. Thank you hey, very much. Thank thanks you for Ken. having us, Ken. Love you guys. Love you too, bro. <laughs> Podcast Rock City. What's up, everybody? This is Joe from Podcast Rock City, where every week me and my crew will bring you the Kiss News of the Week. Look at us as kind of a Kiss version of Meet the Press. Your source for Kiss News every week. We're on iTunes, Podomatic, Twitter, and Facebook. And we want everyone to check out Podcast Rock City, now part of the Podkiss Network. Podcast approved! And now, on to our discussion about Carnival Souls Track by Track Side 1. Today I'm joined by Gary Schaller, Matt Porter, BJ Cramp, and Larry Roberts. Well, gentlemen, are you ready to dive into the track by track? Here we go. That's off the. Uh, that that's actually an outtake. What Matt is playing from Carnival <laughs> Souls, the even finaler sessions. The campfire. The campfire sessions. Yeah, Matt, that's Matt, a lost track outro menstrual. Matt, Matt, try to do uh, "Hate Is What I Am." That with the harmonica. <laughs> Hate is what I am, and underneath this heart, there beats the heart of man. Just play it like the dog is free. She's barking. (laughs) Tell me where's the bottom line? (laughs) Someone just punched myself in the nuts. Anyway, all right. Okay, back at it.
in, in Kiss Album Focus, he said it was a brave band that was willing to tackle a new sound. Right. Well, see, that's, I think, in a way, like we were talking, the transition from Revenge, you know, you can see where there's certain songs that, that follow right from what they were doing in Revenge. But my feeling, especially at the time, you know, and, and we're talking when that bootleg leaked out and things like that, to me, it really was was not them being brave at all. And that really being brave is coming to the, you know, the Grammys in your full costume and makeup. And it's a really a double middle finger to everybody who thought it was cool to stare at your shoes and not have a good time. And we're not allowed to smile and we don't want to shave. And, you know, I'm wearing my dragon boots and I'm having a party. That's and your the whole piece. You know, exactly. And in a way, you're going to get up in front of a bunch of people who are going to go, oh, we didn't think this would work in the 70s. And now, oh, we're going to go and have the most successful tour of the year. F you all. And yeah. Kiss was back. And, and that was really how I felt at the time. You know, 95, 96, 97, those were really good. That's a good time. You know, so it's really, I think that's where, I, and I'm, we'll kinda, I keep repeating myself, I think, but I just didn't really want that kind of whiny. What was going on at the time with most of the music scenes seemed to be, you're not allowed to have fun anymore. Rock stars aren't allowed to exist. We're all kind of just, just guys who aren't having a good time. I don't want any part of that. Well, and also, I don't think I was alone in... I was perfectly capable of liking Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Cinderella and Enough's Enough. I didn't have to pick. Right, right. Why did everybody have to choose... You're not not allowed to like both at the same time. It's weird. You have to choose sides. It didn't make sense to me. I think it was really just I didn't like the content. Like, to me, it's like Cinderella was still trying to have a good time, whereas... Like Alice in Chains, you know, he's the man in the box and blah, blah, blah. And like, I mean, really, in a way, I thought Kiss was more than not so much following grunge, but following bands like Pantera that were just heavier and and wanted that more aggressive. You know, they were angry. Everybody was angry at the time. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, and it's not so that I couldn't like it. I just didn't. You know, I liken what they did on Carnival of Souls as well, too. It kind of kind of reminded me of like Anthrax, Sound of White Noise Right. That 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 kind of I feel like and, you know, of course, Kiss and Anthrax at the time, especially had a pretty close connection. You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, working together and they did that lover all I can B side together and all that yeah. stuff. Uh, I, I, you know, in as much as it's obvious that you hear the Alice in Chains and all that on there. I, to me, when I first heard Carnival of Souls, one of the first things that popped in my head was I was like, oh, this kind of reminds me of the direction Anthrax are going now where in 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 some of the tone and songwriting style and everything i mean i i don't know i mean bg i think the thing is is that it felt for me i have a feeling that if we would have known each other back in the 90s you and i would have been hanging out and complaining about a lot of the same stuff together (laughs) because because i it seemed weird that people did really i mean people that i knew that were way into the so-called hair bands and all that from the 80s like they just dropped it and i was like why don't you like this anymore what what changed in our world that suddenly you can't relate to you know heartbreak station by cinderella anymore and now you feel like you have to be all about sponge <laughs> and and you know yeah i know your favorite and uh you know or and and that kind of stuff it's like in following that i you know let me add real quick as an aside that was also mainly from what i gather that was a North American thing too. Yeah, yeah. Because 
over in Europe, I mean, all these bands, I'm not going to say they were doing as well as they had been doing a few years prior, but all these bands still had a fairly successful career. I mean, that was how bands like Halloween and stuff like that managed to (laughs) managed to survive the 90s was because the rest of the world even though a lot of them did embrace nirvana and all that they they didn't let go of the scorpions and you know well and look at where we're at where we're at now rock and roll is virtually dead in the united states and most of those bands won't even come here to tour because they can't make any money and yet it's still there's still a flourishing hard rock metal scene over in europe and elsewhere in the world Yep. And then now all of these cool bands that are touring all the time over there, they won't even come here because there's no yep. point to it because there's no scene. Nobody will come out to the shows. That's Nobody my cares band. about rock and roll in, in America anymore. It's really sad. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I know that firsthand, man. You know, <laughs> yeah. last last summer I played on stage in, in Europe, but, you know, I played in front of crowds of like 10,000, 15,000 people. Now, I mean, it was a festival. They weren't all there to see me, but <laughs> right. still, but still, you know, I played in front of great, awesome mixed crowds. And then, you know, we come back here and it's like, you know, oh, I'm playing the metal grill in Kadei, Wisconsin, you know, for, <laughs> for 50 people. And that's great, too. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, yeah, it just shows the difference. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't understand why it is. I, I, I think a lot of it just has to do with um, the way people, especially young people, just happen to be led by whatever the big corporate you know, companies and sponsors and stuff are shoving down their throats and letting them believe that, okay, this is what you're supposed to like, kids. You know, this is it. You know, you don't want to listen to that. You you want this. You know, I, I don't know. It's really weird. Well, right. I think it sounds great. And obviously, I mean, when you go from revenge with like, you know, unholy or thou shalt not or like to me, paralyzed in a way, paralyzed is Kiss trying to be grungy you know but but in a way it's making fun of it like you know he doesn't have nothing in his eyes but you know but it's all right it's all right you know it's like i i always thought that in a way they were still kind of snubbing that whole idea and i i think what bj said about the fact that i want rock stars i don't want guys that look like they're not having a good time it's like me too it's it's easy to not have a good time it's much tougher to say hey man i really believe i'm having a good time people look at you like you're crazy but why would you know it's easy to say oh everything's terrible and i'm so mopey and you know who wants that that's that's real life (laughs) right i want to jump out of that you know picture taking booth with my new talisman and my boots on (laughs) 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 well it's time to go to the track by track and i think that this is probably the most kiss-like song on the album and probably for a lot of fans it's hate written by gene simmons scott van zan and bruce kulik gary your thoughts on hate i think hate is an amazing song i actually really uh I loved it the first time I heard it, and I, I still love it. It's, it's, um, I mean, to be that heavy uh, and to be Kiss means that I think that they were headed in the right direction. All the grunge stuff and alternative rock stuff aside, this is the kind of thing that I wanted to hear Kiss do. I think had they 
put that album out at that time rather than waiting until after the reunion. I think that this would have been a single that would have taken a lot of people pleasantly by surprise who are hard rock fans. Gene's vocals are brutal. Bruce's guitar playing is just over the top fantastic. Can't say enough good things about this song. Matt Porter, your thoughts on Hate? I think it's a strong opener. I mean, obviously, it's got that great riff, and you have that whole staticky kind of vibe going on. And I mean, certainly, like we were talking earlier, as far as the progression of the band, you can see where this kind of is a straight line from Unholy to this. Uh, You know, I think in a way, it gives you some idea of where they're headed. I mean, obviously, when he's singing stuff like, you know, you're going to be led to the slaughter, and, you know, you're pretty much doing whatever, you know, you're told kind of thing, you can tell the vibe is clearly going to be a little bit more... uh, I don't know, angry. Uh-huh. <laughs> Great guitar solo, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is the one I remember when we got in the car. You, I was referencing earlier to going to that rock expo in Meadville, Pennsylvania. When we got in the car and put this song in, it, when we were driving down the road. It was like you know a scene in Wayne's World where they're doing you know Bohemian Rhapsody and all that. We were just all banging <laughs> our heads and like, can you believe this is Kiss? Nice. DJ? Your thoughts? It's not a horrible song, uh, but the lyrics are pretty dumb, I think. I really like Gene's voice on this song, and, I mean, it's not saying much, but it's my favorite song on the album, uh, and it probably is really the only song that wouldn't seem out of place on Revenge. So, yeah, not horrible. Oh, well, not horrible. Thank you, BJ, for that. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Larry Roberts. This song is basically like the really pissed off little brother of Unholy to me. Right. I mean, you know, I, again, when I heard it, I said, oh, OK, we got we got another one of those. Although in some ways I like this song a little better than Unholy. I, I really like the, the rhythm of it, the, the stuff that Eric's doing. I, and let me just say this, man. I mean, Eric Singer and Bruce Kulick on this album, I think whether you like this album or not, you can't take away from the performance that those guys put in for this record it's incredible i think this song it's a solid album opener i think it's yeah i could see that i think that this is a song i could have heard this i think if this song would have been put on psycho circus i would have liked that album a whole lot more because i think psycho circus needed something like this it's a great song perfect album opener yeah it's definitely uh unholy's uh sister song if you will it's very similar pissed off little brother i thought that was a good a good explanation for it <laughs> yeah if it was a sister it'd have to be like the pmsing older sister <laughs> yeah. or something you know so this is p- the pissed off little brother right. of <laughs> like holy mercury initially planned to issue hate as the second single from carnival of souls well, that would have been cool wasn't wasn't i know you mentioned we were talking about this before right about the um Spawn movie. I mean, wasn't it Hate in particular that was going to be in it? Uh, maybe I'm mistaken. I don't know. No, I remember that being discussed on the boards. But yeah, I think it would have been a smart single. Would have been the best video, especially yeah. coming off of Revenge. Oh, definitely. Well, the next song is Rain.
thoughts on Rain? I think the first time I heard Rain, my jaw hit the floor. I know Kiss have done odd time signatures before, like the guitar solo for Flaming Youth and the intro to Nothing to Lose. But this was something so out there and so different for Kiss. You know, to hear them do this thing, you know, where it's just ripping a heavy thing in, in seven. And Paul's, you know, Paul's vocals are, are so phenomenal on this song. Those high notes. I mean, nobody, nobody can do it like that. BJ, your thoughts on Rain? <laughs> it's a pathetic impersonation of Alice in Chains. I think it's a horrendous song. Um, you know, in Paul's book, he, he's very self-serving. He's hypercritical of everyone else, but really forgiving of himself. And the way he presents this album, it was Gene's baby, and he just went along with it. Like, he was a victim of circumstance. But when you listen to the record... Paul's songs, for the most part, are way more shameless and pathetic attempts at being grunge or alternative than most of Gene's. I agree. So, I guess maybe that's because Paul was was completely uninspired by what he was doing, and Gene at least had some inspiration going on. I don't know. But to me, this song is just atrocious, just terrible. Larry Roberts? Well, I pretty much completely disagree with that (laughs) go figure figure. no it's cool i mean again you know maybe i look at this from a perspective of of what i was into at the time i was really into like more technical playing and stuff in in the music that i was listening to i mean i i thought that the whole like weird time signature that they were doing with the drums and everything was just really interesting it was cool to hear kiss just step outside of that one of the great things i like about eric singer is that he won't he knows when to just play a stomping four on the floor beat and then other times he knows how to take something that might be a kind of a repetitive riff like like rain has and just make it interesting with what he does um yeah i i can't one thing i can't argue with bj about is there's there's no argument that this was Alice in Chains. I mean, I, I think the whole I think it's going to rain song, isn't that, isn't that in an actual Alice in Chains lyric? Like, I, I think the lyric itself is almost a complete lift <laughs> Probably. from, from yeah. Alice in Chains. So, I mean, I have to admit, yeah, when I first heard it, I went, oh, okay, that's a little plagiarizing, but so, just a great groove. I really loved, I think the, the whole open your eyes bridge section is, is really powerful you know um cool song not my favorite on the album but i think it's a cool song but yeah pretty pretty unabashedly uh shameless borrow from lane staley and company so you know how a certain lyric can ruin you for things in real life you know every time it's starting to rain or i will inevitably think or say, I think it's going to rain, and this starts playing in my head. <laughs> Matt Porter, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I mean, this is a, it's a cool kind of slower groove, and I like the effects on Paul's voice and everything, but to me, it's just, it's not what I wanted to hear Paul Stanley singing about. I mean, you know, when he says he can't stand himself anymore, and he's going to, he's you know, he can't take himself off the floor, maybe he's staring up at that expensive lamp that he bought. You know, I don't know, it's just, you know, <laughs> The uh, to me, it's just that's what really starts to ruin it. Is is that I just don't like where they were going. I you know it's I don't want to hear him being miserable. And obviously, you know, we read his book and found out he was really not maybe having a good time. But uh, I don't want to hear it. 
So, you know, I was waiting for someone to mention that. Book does reflect a lot of anger and, uh, you know, self-doubt at times. And this album reflects a lot of that. And it's weird because KISS fans will say, well, it's, that's not really Paul Stanley. And it turns out that it may have been right more Paul Stanley than we realize. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's. I mean, I think I would have a problem with these lyrics if I felt that they were being totally disingenuous about it. I mean, if if you know, knowing that Paul was going through some pretty tough times around that time, and knowing a little more now about the stuff that you know was going on up in his psyche, uh, you know, I guess it doesn't seem quite so much of a stretch to think that he's writing these kind of lyrics. Right. As opposed, as opposed to you know, read my body or I just wanna or something that you kind of are more accustomed to from him. Well, can I can I read a couple of quotes from Paul Stanley? Sure. From, from behind the mask, he describes this album as a very labored attempt at doing something that I think was a very big misstep. And from his own book, he says, "It it was us impersonating other bands. Now we had to mope and sing about how miserable everything was." Mm-hmm. See, right. he was pretending. He admits, I mean, he basically says he was pretending. I dig that, but there's yeah. also probably times you could flip it around the other way. When he was miserable, like he says in his book, he's walking around, are the letters big enough? So which is it? You know, it could be that both are true. You know, is that also rewriting history, like Gary mentioned earlier? Yep. If it would have been a huge hit, we would have been dealing with even the darker carnival of souls you know what i'm saying yeah that's so. true but i you know i think when he wrote read my body he was just trying to write a good song and when he wrote this he was trying to write a good grunge song right i don't right. think you know so i think that's the difference yeah. but when he wrote read my body and he was trying he to write a good song he failed song. <laughs> <laughs> yes. but i actually would say that he did pretty good as writing that type of song if you will uh sure. you know so because i hear a lot of sabbath in this you know, as much as I hear anything grunge, I also hear that Sabbath-y kind well, of thing. Well, Sabbath were the main influence on Absolutely. this kind of grunge, Absolutely. this uh, Soundgarden type thing, yeah. Right. Up next, Master and Slave. This is one of my least favorite songs on the album. I think in general, uh, everybody did a really good job musically on this record. However, I think that when Kiss approaches the really heavy stuff, not surprisingly, I think Gene fares um, better than Paul in, in, in much in the same way that in the 80s, uh, Paul fared better than Gene when it came to the um, hair metal, glammy stuff like what we saw during... Um, you know, Asylum or even, you know, Crazy Nights. So Master and Slave is probably not one of my favorite songs. It, it's it's certainly a, a good performance. And again, you get some interesting stuff with um, during the, the breakdown. There's uh, odd time signatures. It, good performance, just not a favorite of mine. Well, Gary, you know, I, I never really thought about that. You're mentioning how, like, for example, Gene kind of is stronger on this album, whereas Paul was more strong on the poppier stuff. 
Mm -hmm. I, I just never really thought about it that way. Good point. Thanks. Matt Porter, your thoughts on Master and Slave? You know what? I like the heavy riff, but for me, this is where the album kind of starts, where you start going like, uh-oh, like, what's up with that kind of whiny vocal? I mean, it finally kicks in, but, you know, it's like what we said on the previous song, or what I said anyway, was, you know, now he's, oh, I don't know how to feel, I don't know what to say. It's like, I don't really want whiny Paul Stanley. You know, I want strong Paul Stanley, and this just isn't it. Well, thank God Paul does the Paul Stanley workout to stay strong. There this, you go. <laughs> this, was, this was released to radio as the second single from the album. BJ, your thoughts on Master and Slave? Well, I hate the verses without the guitar and the way he sings, like Matt said. The way he sings the verse, I hate. The hooks on the chorus are all right, but I think the production kind of ruins it for me. I mean, overall, I don't really like the song at all, even though it has it has moments. Maybe it had potential. The production, especially on the verses, is horrendous, though. Uh-huh. Larry Roberts, your thoughts on Master and Slave? Not one of my favorite songs on the album. It's got a really catchy chorus. I kind of echo BJ's thoughts about those. The first time I heard it, when I heard those sort of talk-singy uh, verses that he does over the, the bass line and everything, it... It's cool. I get what they were going for with it. I just, it, it, to me, this feels like B-side kind of stuff, you know. I w this is not the song I would have gone with for a second single off this album by any stretch. Well, the know? part where he screams. That's kind of cool. Well, it yeah. is, but on the other hand, it sounds like he's just, like, performing in the studio, and then someone comes up and, like, <laughs> like a pitchfork right through his foot, you know. <laughs> 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 He dropped his nuts on a sizzling <laughs> pan or something. It just it very just time comes and Jerry. Of, yeah, yeah. It, it just kind of comes out of nowhere, you know, like someone jammed a chainsaw up his ass. Life is like a book. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, not to keep harping on about this, but that riff that leads into that bridge section and everything is so obviously another i mean it's them bones by alice in chains yeah. uh, again almost plagiarized so well to me the next track we were discussing earlier about pig floyd and the Beatles and stuff like this. this. This is kind of where I start to see some of this come around. And it's in the next song, Childhood's End, written by Simmons, Thayer, and Kulik. thoughts on childhood's end um, I, I like childhood's end from the very first time i heard it and to be honest with you it's probably one of my favorite songs on the record and and probably one of my favorite non-makeup kiss songs of all time i don't know for sure what it's about 
and, and in a way it doesn't really matter. It's evocative, um, like a lot of the material that Gene was writing around this time. There's something very sad and wistful about it. And I, I, I'm a sucker for any song that has a that shares its title with a Pink Floyd track. This could have been a radio hit. Or why do you think it never became a, a single? You know, besides, you're talking about besides the sort of non-promotion of the album, yeah. just in general. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a symptom of, of of what Kiss has been or became. I don't know. The the whole kind of Paul-dominated Kiss narrative. Um, I mean, we've had, I think, only two Gene singles for all of the 20 records that they released. Right. Um, I, I mean, I think it could have been a single. I, I, don't, I don't know why Jungle was chosen rather than um, Childhood's End. And, and in a way, I guess Childhood's End was kind of a single because it, I think it was one of the songs that was featured on the box set, right? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. We've talked about this in the past, right, that on Monster... Um, Back to the Stone Age could have been the single, and on Sonic Boom, Nobody's Perfect could have been the single. So okay. maybe it's maybe it's the Kiss missed opportunity. Kissed opportunities. Uh, That's another episode. Right. There you go. <laughs> Matt Porter, your thoughts on Childhood's End? You know what? This is absolutely far and away my favorite track on the album. I love Gene's vocal, and to me, really, it's a lot of it. I think it's because it's also there's several callbacks to things that I think are cooler in the fact that, like, you know, he's singing Sunday morning in the New York Times, and if you think of Wendy O. Williams' Legends Never Die, she says Tuesday morning New York Times, yes. and I read you died last night, and her friend passed away, lost her mind. I thought that was kind of a cool little toss back, but for me, and I remember this distinctly, when I had the bootleg, I'm sitting at the light on 309 and 663. It's it's in my car, cranking it up, and as it's fading out, you know, it's you were always my friend. And when he throws in the, you've got something about you. Yes. You got something I need. Geeking out, like losing my mind, rewinding that spot over and over and over, going, he's he's singing directly to us saying, look, we're not all mopey. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and it's the highlight of the album. I hate to say it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Every kiss nerd would go, oh, yeah, I know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Roberts. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I think this is one of the best songs on the album. Although I will say when I first heard it and that main riff came in, I just went, oh, my God. Could you write any more awkward sounding of a riff than that riff? It's just so it's the most it's like go home riff. You're drunk, you know, because that's what it <laughs> that's what it sounds like. It's just a I was like, whoa. But um, as I got over the you know oddity of the riff um it was just so cool to hear him sing something that was again just it just felt sincere i like gene you know as much as i like the the big scary monster gene and sometimes i like that sexual pervert gene kind of thing it's like it's cool it's cool when you hear gene do those rare like moments like this where it feels like he's just being a person kind of like a 
you know, something, you know, to, in a way it, it, it touches me in the same way that like always near you nowhere to hide on the solo album from 78 right. does, you know, it's, it's that kind of, um, just down to earth sort of song. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, you know, Matt already brought up all the great stuff, the stuff on that outro and everything is just, you know, how can you, you know, as a, a fan, how can you not geek out about him <laughs> right. doing that? You know, that's really, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, it definitely one of my favorite songs on the album. BJ? Yeah, there are some all right moments in this song. I would say if I like anything, I like the verse. I think like most of this record, the chorus is just kind of flat and plotting in there. Aren't, there's not a lot of melody there. You know, the, this record, the songs just aren't melodic enough for my taste and there aren't enough notes it's flat and kind of a, there's a lot of monotone going on in this record and the the chorus for me for this song is just kind of a letdown but um trivia uh matt mentioned Le- legends never die wendy o williams you guys know the other who else recorded that song oh i did um legends never die no I know I know this, man. Who is it? <sighs> I give. <laughs> it was King Cobra. Oh, yeah. King Cobra oh, really? 3. Wow. That's, that's right. Ugh. Yeah, the one after Thrill of a Lifetime. That's damn. I remember the doing that they did It's My Life, but I don't even remember that. I don't think I even had that album. Yeah, they did do It's My Life on the same record, yeah. Wow. I remember that. One of the things I love about this song is the use of the children's choir. Agreed. And it's, it's really cool to me that it, it, that's one of those Beatle type moments that I was mentioning earlier. I actually love this song. It's one of my favorites on the album. And I think it's interesting that we go from childhood's end to I will be there because it, it almost like there's a theme going between those two songs where Paul's going to say, I will be there for you, you know, even after your childhood's end. So, um, if I can ever say that fucking word right. Uh, <laughs> Each and every day, people turn away. your thoughts on I Will Be There? Well, I think I Will Be There is a beautiful song. It's very, very soulful, very, um, you know, gorgeous playing by uh, by Bruce, great vocals by Paul. 
in a way, it could have been on any Kiss record because, I mean, the lyrical theme and and the music on it are it seem kind of timeless. It, it may be the only song on this record that doesn't sound completely dated. Mm. So yeah, good. I, I like the song a lot. Interesting point, Matt Porter. As a parent, what are your thoughts of the song "I Will Be There"? So, you know, it's funny that you would kind of preface it with that because, in a way, like at the time when this came out, I didn't even have kids, so right. I. Like now, it maybe means a little bit more, and you know, like it's nice where he says, you know, to a father and a son. And I mean, you know, it's I, I get it, like I get what he was going for, but I think the vocals just so whiny. Like if anything, you know, if you're going to celebrate your kids, let's celebrate your kids, not the fact that you're not going to see them every other Sunday because of a divorce or whatever. I don't know. To me, it really it bothers me in the fact that it's just it sounds so sad, and it's just like you know. I just, I'll say it probably for the hundredth time, but it's just not what I would want out of a Kiss song. Hmm. Interesting. I became a stepfather over the last few years, and this song has taken on more of a meaning for me as well. Uh, Larry Roberts, your thoughts on I Will Be There? Um, you know, it's, I don't have any kids. Let me just preface by saying that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and it's going to stay that way. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually feel totally different than you on that one, Matt. I I honestly feel that this is probably the best Paul ballad that I'd heard since I Still Love You oh, in 1982. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, it's not that I can't appreciate forever and every time I look at you. And I mean, Paul's great at that stuff. I mean, you know, that's... It's Paul Stanley. I mean, that's right. he's great at being the romantic guy. But I mean, yeah, I, the guitar, again, taking the musical approach to it, the guitar playing on this song is just exquisite. Uh, that that acoustic is just incredible sounding on this. I, yeah, I think it's. I think that when Paul does this, I, I get what you're saying. I know in some of those verses he gets a little, you know, right. you know it gets a, it gets a little, <laughs> it gets a little super dramatic I, and I, I i could see that and you've probably ruined the song for me now so thanks but um <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but in all seriousness no i i really like this song i think that the i think it's yeah i mean i get it it's a little bit sad sounding for something that's supposed to be a heartfelt thing towards your kid but no i i i really like this song this is something that when they're doing those like sail away uh, acoustic shows and stuff on uh, on the cruise. I would I would just love to hear him whip this one out, man. You know, that Tommy awesome. playing that, playing those cool acoustic lead lines that go underneath it. That would just be awesome. Well, I think, and that's even a good point is the fact that when you think about that sail away show or or them doing something acoustic, to me, that's actually where this album kind of falls down. Is like that sail away show is a party, and we're probably going to all be drinking way too much, and everybody's going to be sunburned and looking for some suntan. And somebody give Joe some suntan oil because he's baking in the heat. Yes, Esteban. I don't, I don't hear depressed stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I think in a way, I want a rock and roll night party every day. I don't necessarily want to be reminded that, you know. Right. You know, I get I think, that. I think that's exactly it. It's like this would be a good one to me. And I guess in some ways, a lot of time Kiss albums are sometimes seasonal. Like a lot of the music I listen to, I listen to this more. It's like October, November. You know, it's kind of getting that that kind of darker time. The leaves are orange and things like that. I don't know. It's just. I mean, that's exactly it. I think in a way is that I think if if they did pull this out 
on the sail away thing, it would be kind of like depressing. It's depressing to me. But okay, but see now that's the thing. Like to me, when I listen to this song, I don't think it's depressing. Like to me, this is like the kind of song that if my wife was standing next to me, I'd put my arm around her, you know, <laughs> uh, raise a raise a lighter in the air kind of thing, you know. Like it's right. it's and it and it's kind or of an like app a, with a lighter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or. But I mean, this is the kind of thing I like the the mix of the the light and shade. This is the kind of thing that if they did that on the Sailway show and they busted into this after hearing nothing to lose and whatever, having this moment where it's kind of like a nice, you know, like tender, you know, moving moment, and then go out of that and then bust into rock bottom, and it makes rock bottom just have that much more oomph, you know, and and. I, I don't know. I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I, I think it just kind of comes down to how you interpret the songs for yourself, Absolutely. you know? Because to me, it's like something like She or War Machine. Like, those are like darker songs to me that I don't put on if I'm in a party mood. But there's right, other right. people that are like, oh, no, man, She, you know, I'm drinking, I'm partying, bust out some She, you know? So. I get well, it. I, think, I, get I think that's saying. a good point in a lot of ways. The one thing that actually kind of bothers me about this album is that they have, on a lot of these songs, they're not in control. Like War Machine's a good example. He's saying, I'm going to roll over everybody. On this album, it's more like, well, you know, I have termites in my head and this and that. <laughs> and, you know, it's almost like they feel it's like it's Kiss giving away the power. I always think with Kiss, you're part of the power, where and you have the power. But the uh, you know, in yeah, a way, yeah. a lot of these songs, that's the problem. They're depressed, and you know, they go for the uh, the I hate the church angle a, a few too many times, and you know, I think that's really in a way with all these songs, a lot of them, it's where it, it comes down for me is I feel like almost like they. We're we're kind of feeling weaker, and I and I guess I just I don't like that stance. But well, the, was uh, uh, Sam firing the laser at the <laughs> talisman? Exactly, exactly. So basically, Matt, what you've really introduced into this is that without the talisman, Paul would have written "I will be there" much sooner. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, real quick, just to. Or to kind of agree, really. Uh, yeah, I, I guess you could say, like, if Revenge was kind of like the, you know, drunk, rowdy guy, you know, trying to get the party started back up again, it's like this is the album of him two months later in rehab. You <laughs> exactly. Know? Like, That's exactly like, it. It, it. Yeah, it is. I, I can't take that away, man. That's, you're, you're absolutely right. I never really thought about it that way. This is not a party album in any stretch, right. you know, even if you are into heavier music or darker music it's like this this is kiss kind of being very bare for people to you know see they're they're not hiding behind any sexual innuendos or or monster characters or anything on this it's like it's like kiss in therapy yeah right right exactly it's exactly it i will be there was written by paul stanley bruce kulik and kurt According to Julian Gill over at KissMonster.com, this ballad is probably the most honest track on Carnival Souls album since it doesn't attempt to be anything but a piece inspired by and dedicated to Paul's son, Evan Shane Stanley. Additional orchestration was recorded for the song that had the working title Acoustic Song. So, BJ, your thoughts on I Will Be There? Um, I don't think it's a very good song. I think it's awkwardly delivered 
more about the lyrics and the vibe than the melody or the song structure, which for me, what's most important is the melody and the song structure. But, but you know, this album is more like Kiss, uh, I want to bear my soul all night. <laughs> Instead right, of right. I want to rock and roll all night. Exactly. <laughs> we are sensitive fathers as well. Um, <laughs> very good, very good. Well, probably the most popular song on the album. This was the single from the album. And to me, this is a song that just goes on way too damn long. As a matter of fact, I remember going on a drive, and it, I, I swore it was like 18 minutes long. Like someone had made an 18-minute long mega mix of the song Jungle, and I almost fell asleep while driving. I had to take the CD out. So. Shaller, your thoughts on Jungle? I gotta say, Jungle is my least favorite song on the album. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it, it feels, I don't know, too too much like it could have been a single by any band. I realize that that's most people's complaints about the whole album, but this one in particular, just uh, this and this sort of is in the category for me, the same category as Dreamin'. It, it's it's just too generic. I don't know. It, it it's fine. It's it, lots of people like it. Kiss seem to have liked it. It just doesn't leap off the page for me. Mm-hmm. Matt Porter, your thoughts on Jungle? Yeah, I don't know. I hate to say it. By the time we're into this, I'm starting to get worried because now this is a full-on Alice in Chains ripoff. I don't care for that flangey kind of bass. Uh, I like Paul's more straight-ahead vocals on the song, but not the really super-affected parts. And it just seems, to me, this is where they're really struggling just to be kind of in current events. And, you know, you have someone dying alone and someone's falling prey and a mother's mourning and fathers are groaning. And it's just not the vibe I want. Like, you know, I'll, I keep kind of going back to that. But, you know, it's uh, it's that's kind of sad thing is, like, He's reading the paper, it seems, and it's just, you know, it's, oh, isn't life terrible? And it's just not where I wanted to go. Running at 6 minutes and 49 seconds, Jungle is one of the longest studio recordings in the KISS catalog. It was released in September of 97 as the first radio single in support of Carnival of Souls. The song was the top 10 rock radio hit, peaking at number 8 on Billboard's mainstream rock top 40 in November. <laughs> As a result, the song became Kiss's biggest hit on the chart, beating the previous best of Heaven's on Fire, which reached number 11 in 1984. The song also won the Metal Edge Reader's Ed Choice of the Year Song Award for 1997. The song shares a rhythm vibe similar to Deep Purple's You Fool No One. BJ, your thoughts on Jungle? Yeah, they fooled no one, that's true. Um, (laughs) Horrible, horrible production. Uh, Toby Wright should be ashamed of himself. The bass sound on this song is horrific. The verse is horribly annoying, just a droning monotone, no melody, and the bass sound throughout the whole song just ruins any redeeming qualities the chorus might have had. So really, the production more than anything ruins this song, but the verse is pretty awful as well. Larry Roberts, your take on Jungle. It's ironic that this song 
would chart so well in those rock charts, you know, because I first thing I thought when I found out that this was released as a single, as I said, why? I, you know, for one thing, the longest song ever. <laughs> it was just right. so, so long and so monotonous. And it's got moments. I, I kind of like the, uh, I kind of like the, uh, I guess you would call it the chorus or the pre-chorus when, when Paul gets a little bit shoutier in it and everything. Um, you know, it's got some moments. There's some cool guitar stuff that goes on, but just boring, monotonous. And, I, you know, I, whereas I am one of the people that I don't necessarily feel like uh, this album is, you know, not what I wanted to hear from them at the time because I, I don't feel that way. But this song is definitely not what I wanted to hear from them at the time. Lyrically, too, you know, I was just like, I, there was just something uncomfortable to me about some of the the subject matter and hearing Paul sing this. I, maybe I would believe it more if it was like, you know, Gene singing it or if this was lyrically, even if this was like the kind of song that Ace put on one of his records or something, but because it's a little bit more of a grittier the subject. Jungle. But, <laughs> but I just, I, yeah, not necessarily this song in particular, but I'm just saying that style of what the, what the, the subject matter is about. Um, yeah, prob- probably, probably easily one of my least favorite songs. Putting it nicely on the album, I, I just I didn't I didn't understand this song. I certainly didn't understand why it was a single. Although I guess you know it did okay, but I don't know. Very good. We thank you for listening to Podcast 117, Carnival of Souls, track by track, side one. Up next in the Podcast feed, The Kiss Room, the January 2016 edition. Join them live if you can. It's always a party. We'll see you on the next episode of the Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are glad to celebrate our ninth year anniversary with you. You are the other half of the Podcast. Thank you for making it what it is. See you on the next podcast. Time to escape from the island. Click. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John. You are Kiss, and we are your army. Podcast is created by the Kiss Army for the Kiss Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with Kiss or any of its members, past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podcast crew, thank you for listening to Podcast, the Kiss fanzine for your ears. DJ still hasn't returned. Well, no, I'm right, here. I'm here. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, right now, you better watch out. I'm a war machine. Hello, hey. So bad. <laughs> My wife's telling me to knock it off.
check out these ads from the following shows. We are proud to call them the friends of the Podcast Network. We are one. We're a scene, man. That's right, Kiss Army. We're having a rock and roll party, and you are invited. Tune into the Strange Ways Kiss Podcast and hang out with your Kiss Army brothers, Jody Habnock, Clinton Harris, and D Rock. Join us where we celebrate and discuss the gods of thunder. That's Strange Ways Kiss Podcast. You can find us on Facebook or Podomatic.com. We'll see you there. You wanted the best, you got the best. And if you want the hottest show on Monco Radio, Join us in the Kiss Room. The Kiss Room is a monthly radio broadcast celebrating the hottest band in the world. Kiss! It's your place for all things Kiss and some. For broadcast dates and all information, go to thekissroom.com. The Kiss Room broadcasts live and worldwide on Monco Radio, where music and minds meet. Hey, I'm Dr. Fuck. And I'm the Ayatollah of Alcoholic. And we are from the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. If you want to check out some crazy, uncensored, unbiased, totally nuts reviews of classic hard rock and heavy metal albums, check us out. You can get us on Podbean and iTunes. New episodes every Sunday. That's right. And we also do each other's moms. True. Free of charge. Well, mine charges. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mine's free. History Science Theater, the most civilized. Yeah. Oh, f- <laughs> oh, f- <laughs> come on. Respectful. Just imagine Gene it's with like, like a with like a washtub base. Boom, 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 boom. And serious. No wait. Excuse me, Bob. You're gonna come over and do my album. <laughs> Kiss podcast on the web. History Science Theater. We bust balls because we care. Hi, this is Jason Herner with Kiss My Wax, a brand new podcast about all things Kiss Vinyl. Be sure to join myself, Andrew Scambatti, and Tom Shannon each episode as we discuss the crazy world of collecting Kiss Vinyl. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash kissmywax and on YouTube by searching Kiss My Wax. We hope to see you all there. Rock and roll and vinyl are meant to go together. <laughs> like drummers and strippers. <laughs> That's right. So maybe it's time to hop on down to your local record store and go digging for some lost gems on vinyl. And that's exactly what we do here at the Shabby Road Record Show. We pick selections from our own personal record collections and then we discuss the songs, the artists, the albums. And the stories about the music that you may have never heard. And there's nothing more fun than listening to two knuckleheads spinning vinyl and talking music. So dive on into the five-star rated podcast, The Shabby Road Record Show. You can subscribe for free on iTunes, Spreaker, and Stitcher, where there's a new episode released every Tuesday. Also, you can find us on Facebook and at our website, ShabbyRoadRecordShow.com. Hey, this is Nick, co-host of The Pot of Thunder, the only KISS podcast that breaks down the entire KISS song catalog one track at a time. Every week we have a new song chosen at random and we do our best to analyze it. We talk about KISS-related topics and non-KISS-related topics, all the while trying not to kill each other. If you like the sound of that, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and especially on iTunes. Pot of Thunder!
Hey everybody, I'm Aaron. And I'm Chris. And we're from the Decibel Geek Podcast. And if you love this... You'll love us. That's right. Brand new episode every single Monday. You can find us on iTunes and at decibelgeek.com. And the best thing is, it's rock and roll, and it's always free. Oh, we're great at that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, we are amateurs. Yeah, I make all the sex sounds with my mouth afterwards. <laughs> Squish. Ooh. This place oh. is nice. Right? I'm glad you wore your nice flip-flops. <sighs> Stay frosty, man. Okay.